There was a man in my church growing up that I loved to hear pray. Um, just by listening to his prayers, you could tell that he was somebody who intimately knew our Savior. Um, they weren't just empty words spoken to the air, but they were words spoken to a God that he loved and that he knew. And his words were filled with scripture and theology, and it didn't sound like he was just trying to make his prayers seem impressive. They just flowed out of him naturally. When I heard him pray, I thought, man, I, I want to learn how to pray like that. And part of me wondered if I even knew how to pray at all. Uh, maybe you felt something similar to that. You've seen or listened to somebody pray and, and thought, man, I wish I knew how to pray like that because often I feel like I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, we all need to learn how to pray, I think. And if you're a follower of Jesus, all of you could admit, yeah, I could learn more about prayer. I could get, be get better at prayer than I am now. So this morning, that's part of what we're going to do, and we're going to learn how to pray from our Master and Savior Himself. Our passage this morning is from Luke chapter 11, and in this chapter, Jesus' disciples come to Him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus does so. So this morning, I want you to imagine yourself among Jesus' disciples. Imagine yourself walking up to Jesus and asking Him, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray? And listen to his words and instructions. Because Jesus is going to teach us three ways that we are to pray. So if you have your Bibles with me, if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word from Luke 11, starting in verse 1 all the way to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are within me. I cannot get up and will give you anything. Well, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let us pray. Lord, I ask that we would hear your words this morning. Would you help us? learn how to pray so that we can pray in a way that pleases you, in a way that you will hear. Pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Point number one, the first way that we are supposed to pray, if you are taking notes in your bulletin, is that we need to pray biblically. We need to pray biblically. Our prayers have to be biblical prayers. We can't pray contrary to what the Bible teaches. We can't pray just whatever it is that we want to pray. Our prayers need to be lined up with the Scriptures. 
Because they're not lined up with the Scripture. If they're not biblical prayers, then God won't hear them and God won't answer them. So our prayers have to be informed by the Scriptures. Our prayers have to be breathed by the Scriptures. Our prayers really should be filled with the Scriptures. And when we want to know how to pray, what we should do is we should turn to the Bible. This is exactly what the disciples do. They go to the Word made flesh and they ask Him for the words that they should pray. Verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So listen, Jesus is praying. They want to learn how to pray. They like how Jesus is praying. And they, when He finishes, one of His disciples said to Him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So they want Jesus to teach them how to pray. They specifically, though, are asking for, teach us like John taught his disciples. Now, it appears what they're asking for here is that John the Baptist gave his disciples a specific prayer that they were to pray, a liturgy or a pattern of words that they could copy, a kind of prayer whose words they would memorize and repeat them, and they would pray them over and over throughout their prayer life. And so they're asking, hey, Jesus, do that for us. And then Jesus says, well, don't pray like John's disciples. Right? Don't pray the same words every time. Just pray what's in your heart. God hates empty rituals and patterns, so pray better words. Oh, wait, no, that's not what Jesus says. Um, that's what we might expect Jesus to say. Right? Typically, we only think of prayer as in terms of what's in our hearts. We think the most important thing is just having the right attitude and not the words. In our faith tradition, we're more suspicious of repeated or liturgical prayers. But Jesus and the Scriptures never tell us to be. What we do need to be concerned is that our prayers are biblical ones, not just heartfelt ones. Now, it's true our prayer or our hearts do need to be right. And it's true prayer isn't just repeating certain words, but that doesn't mean that the words we say do not matter. It doesn't mean you can pray whatever you want. Jesus doesn't say pray however you feel. Jesus wants them to pray biblical prayers. And so he says to them in verse 2, when you pray say. He's going to tell them exactly how they are to pray. He's going to give them the very words to use, and it's important because we need to know the right words. We won't find the right words just by searching our hearts. We find them in the Scriptures. We find them in Christ's words. So it's like how we teach children. We teach them to pray with specific prayers. We don't just say to a one-year-old, we'll just pray whatever you want. We're teaching our two- and four-year-old how to pray, and I do so, and we do so by giving them specific biblical language and biblical words and biblical prayers to repeat. And we repeat them at every meal. And every night I pray the same prayer because they need to learn the biblical way to pray first before they're ready to pray their own words. But they're kind of like training wheels to get the hang of prayer. And I still need those kind of biblical prayers when we're older. I turn to those kind of prayers when I don't know how to pray. I, when I'm weak and I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when I don't know what to say, I turn to the Lord's Prayer. I turn to the Psalms and I pray them or open up a book of common prayer or the Puritan prayer books because some days I need help. And those prayers are meant to teach us how to pray biblically. But the specific words do matter. It doesn't mean we should always pray the same words. I don't want to give you the wrong impression because you may notice too, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer differs slightly from Matthew's, which is a more well-known one. But they have the same ideas, and the language and many of the words are exactly are the same, but they're not exact. Because it's not about our words exactly matching up with one another. It's about them matching up with what the Bible says. It's about them matching up with what Jesus says. Our prayers need to line up with Christ. They don't have to follow the same structure or formula. They need to follow the same values, the same principles, and the same truths. And so we learn how to pray by praying Christ's prayers. Now, we'll walk through this prayer um, somewhat 
quickly. I mean, each phrase could be its own sermon by itself as we just meditate and think on what that means and all the implications it has for our prayers, but we're not going to spend that much time on it. We're going to do it all today. It begins by saying, Father, hallowed be your name. Prayer begins reminding us who do we pray to. We pray to God. We don't pray to ourselves. We don't pray to the universe. We pray to the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We pray to Yahweh, to the great I Am, and we pray to our Heavenly Father because He is not distant from us. We pray to not to God, but to our Father. We pray as those who have been adopted as His children through the blood of Jesus. And we pray first that His name would be hallowed. It means that we are praying that His name would be honored. We pray first not for our own good, not for our own prayer requests, but we pray for God's. We pray that God's name would be treated with respect. We pray that His name would not be taken in vain, that His name would not be treated like a curse or something that people say when they're angry. We pray that it would not be used in vain like it is by politicians, those who would use God's name to gain power and to manipulate us. We pray that His name would not be used in vain by preachers or false prophets or teachers who would claim to speak for God but lie. We pray that His name would be honored by those who call themselves Christians, that we would speak His name with reverence, and that we would live worthy of His name, that as Christians we would live like people who are worthy of bearing His name. And we pray that people would pray in a way that honors His name. Our prayers should be honoring to God. We should pray for God to be glorified. One way to pay or to pray biblical prayers is to pray that God's name would be honored. The next part says, your kingdom come. We're to pray that God's kingdom would come. If you remember when we began the series in the Gospel of Luke, I said the message of the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus is the promised king. He came to preach and to enact his kingdom, which is for all people through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. But if Jesus' mission is to bring the kingdom. He came to proclaim and to bring the kingdom of God. This is his mission. And he teaches his disciples, pray that the mission would be successful. Pray that the kingdom would come. Pray the kingdom would come into more towns, into more people. Pray that the kingdom would continue to do its healing and saving work in Israel and beyond. And we're to pray that God would to continue the mission of Jesus. We're to pray not just that our church would be successful, but that the kingdom of God would be. We pray not just for our own lives, but for the kingdom. We pray that the kingdom of God would come into the lives and into the communities and into every single nation on earth. And we're to pray that it should come fully. And we're praying for that, but the kingdom of God is also here now. We know it is not going to fully manifest itself until Jesus returns when He comes at the end of days, but we are also to pray for that day as well. As we pray for His kingdom to come, we pray that it would come sooner. We pray how the book of Revelation ends when it says, Come, Lord Jesus. Come and bring your kingdom. We don't pray that it just comes in our time. We don't pray just that it would come in the manner that we wish, but we are to pray that God's kingdom would come. One way to pray biblically is to pray for God's kingdom to come, to pray for it to manifest itself in our world.
and in our lives. The next part of the prayer, he says, give us each day our daily bread. Another way to pray biblically is to pray for your daily needs, to pray that God would provide for you every single day. And we're to pray for this daily um, because we need Him to do it every day. Every day, He is the one who provides for us. And so we're to pray for our physical needs. We're also to pray for our spiritual needs. We're to pray that He would nourish our souls and care for us and sanctify us and help us to grow and give us what it is that we need. And we're supposed to trust Him. We're not just to assume that we can provide for ourselves. Now, don't worry, God, I got it today. I'll pray for you. I'll ask for my daily bread tomorrow. Today, I think I have it handled. No, we're to pray and to ask God to do so. It's also good for us, I think, to not just pray for our own daily bread, but for others. To pray for our brothers and sisters in the faith, to pray for our neighbors, to pray for other those, that they also receive their daily bread. We don't just pray for our own needs or what we need, but also for others. That's one of the reasons we share our prayer requests together as a church. So we can go before the Lord and ask that He would provide all of us our daily bread. It's also unique. Why would it use this phrase, the daily bread? Um, Because it becomes so familiar to us. If you know the Lord's Prayer well, it stops seeming strange. I think this is intentionally meant to be an allusion back to Exodus. Every morning as the Israelites were wandering through the wilderness, heading towards the promised land, God gave them bread daily. Manna would rain down from heaven and be on the ground when they woke. That was their daily bread, and it was provided for by God. And so we, too, should pray for our daily bread, that God will make it rain and that God will provide for us, as He has always done for His people. And we can pray so knowing that He does do that and that He does provide. Next part, we see that we are to pray and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Another way to pray biblically is to pray for forgiveness, to confess our sins to God and to ask Him for grace. And we ask Him so because we know that He does forgive sinners. Think of even the man hanging on the cross next to Jesus who prayed for forgiveness and Christ granted it. Because God loves to forgive the sins of sinners. But we need to pray, and we need to ask for it. It's hard to find a more biblical prayer than one that is asking for forgiveness. Even those who are not Christians, this is the prayer you should pray. It's the first prayer that you should pray. And after you are a Christian, this is a prayer you should continue to pray as often as you sin, which I think would be fairly often. At least daily, you could find one time that you could pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins. But why do we pray? The good news is we pray this because we know that He will, because He already has. This is why Jesus came to live and to die, to buy our forgiveness. And so we pray for it freely. Now, the next part of this, though, might seem somewhat strange to you. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, why would Luke phrase it that way? It's important for us to see this is not implying that, well, we can be forgiven, God. You can forgive me of my sins because I am just such a great forgiving person, so I deserve it. That's not what Luke is trying to say. No, we are meant to pray for forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus. 
We pray for forgiveness based on the death of Jesus in our place. We pray for forgiveness based on Jesus' defeat of sin and death on the cross and the empty tomb. And then, because we have received that forgiveness, because we have been transformed and changed radically by what Jesus has done to us, then we pass that forgiveness on because we know what it is like to be a sinner in need of forgiveness. And so we are gracious to those who want our own forgiveness. We forgive those who are indebted to us because we know what Christ forgave us. Not because it earns our salvation, but because we have gained it, we pass it on freely. So we ask for forgiveness as those who have already been changed by it. And those who don't forgive others, who are harsh and cruel and unwilling to forgive someone who sins against them, prove that they haven't yet really been fully transformed by the forgiveness that Jesus offers. So how do we pray biblically? We pray that our sins would be forgiven. And last, the last part of it is we are to pray and lead us not into temptation. Finally, we're to pray that God would save us, not just from the power of sin eternally, but that He would save us from the power of sin here and now, today. That He would deliver us from the temptations that will come our way to sin. We find many of those, don't we? Every day, countless number of times, there will be temptations put in your path to sin. We are to pray that God would deliver us, that He would lead us out of it. We're to pray that He would deliver us from the temptation to drink, that He would lead us away from our addictions, that He would lead us away from pornography and sexual sin, that He would lead us away from wrath and anger, that He would lead us away from unforgiveness, that He would lead us away from Satan's traps and his schemes and his plans. The next time that you're tempted to sin, what should you do? Well, a good thing to do would be to stop and to pray, to ask for God to help you out of it, to ask for His deliverance. So all of this, we're supposed to meant to pray biblically. How can we pray biblically? Well, you can pray biblically by just praying this prayer. Repeat it. Pray these exact words. And then maybe pray them again and expand on them. Start with each phrase, then pray the next things that come to your mind. And when you run out of things, well, pray the next phrase. That's a great way to pray biblical prayers. That's one of the ways that I pray through the Psalms. So I just pray and read it, and then when something brings something to mind, then I pray for that, and then move on to the next verse. But however we do pray, um, our prayers need to be biblical prayers. They need to match up with what Jesus asks us and with what the rest of Scriptures tell us to pray. So point number one, we pray biblically. Point number two is we are also to pray boldly. We are to pray boldly. Our prayers should be bold prayers. We should be willing to boldly approach the God of the cosmos with our prayers and with our requests. And then Jesus tells a story to give us an example of what He means. It starts in 5. And He says, He said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine's arrived on a journey. I have nothing to set before him. Okay, do any of you have friends that you might knock on their door at midnight and ask to borrow some groceries? Probably not. Maybe you do, I don't know. But one thing that Jesus wants us to understand about this request is its boldness. Okay, this would take some guts to be willing to pound on that door in the middle of the night. 
Most of us might not even knock on our neighbor's door just to borrow an egg or to borrow a cup of flour during the day because we might think, ah, that, that's too bold. You know what? I'll just, I'll do without or I'll go to the store later. You know, I'll, I'll make this work. Most of us would go without because we recognize, well, it takes some boldness to do that. It would take another level of boldness to go bang on your neighbor's door in the middle of the night to ask to borrow some bread. And Jesus asks, which of you? He's kind of asking them, okay, which one of you is going to do this? And the expected response and the way that he's asking this is they're all supposed to say, well, no, obviously we wouldn't do that, Jesus. No, we, we would never. We're, we're good Jews. We're, we're kind. We would never do something. We would never knock on our neighbor's door to do this. And seven, he says, and he would answer within, right? Don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed. I cannot give up and give you anything. Jesus wants to see the neighbor has plenty of good excuses why he is not answering the door. Okay, somebody knocked on my door yesterday. I was busy. Bree was busy. I could tell what they were trying to sell me. And so I had a good list of reasons why I wasn't getting up to answer the door. Okay, this guy has even better reasons. He's got some excuses we would consider reasonable. So that means banging on your door, especially in the middle of the night, you would all be tempted to ignore it. All right, but he, his excuses are here. His children are in the room with me. They're in a one-room house, presumably, and the kids are all sleeping around. And the door is shut and locked. There's a big bar on it. So if he's going to get up and answer the door, he's going to knock children around. He's going to have to lift up this heavy door, open the door, and start talking. All the kids are going to wake up. Okay, if you have small kids or small grandchildren, or you can remember those days, how fun is it to get kids to go back to sleep? <laughs> Especially when they wake up in the middle of the night. If my children wake up in the middle of the night, it's 3 a.m., say, is it time to be awake? I want to play. No, it is not. Go, go to bed. Okay, we can sympathize. No, we, we would never do that. These are very reasonable excuses. And yet Jesus says in verse 8, I tell you, even though he has all of that, he will get up. And he will give him stuff, not because he is his friend. So he's not doing it because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, because of his boldness, he is going to rise and he is going to give him whatever he needs. Whatever he needs. Jesus says they can expect a response. Their neighbor is going to get up and their neighbor will give them those three loaves of bread. They won't do it because they're friends. They will do it because of their boldness. We need to recognize too, this isn't um, just a bold request. This is actually a good request. To us, this seems very minor. Seems like an inconvenience. Someone's come to visit, don't got anything to make. That's unfortunate, but, you know, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll do without or we'll find something else. Well, in the ancient Near East, in these times, okay, hospitality is a much bigger deal to them than it is to us. Um, it is not just about being kind. It is a matter of honor. It is a matter of expectation. It is the moral, righteous thing. It is what you must do. You provide for guests. And if you do for it, you provide for them what you might not provide for your family. You do without so that they can have. So someone who does not provide for their guests, especially a guest that they knew was coming, would be ashamed. It would be a huge breach of expectations. Everybody in town is going to hear about it and know them as somebody who does not show hospitality. And so their desire is a good one. And they're only asking for three, three loaves of bread. That's not an incredible amount of food. They're not asking for a banquet. They're not asking for a big turkey. They're not asking for a cow. They're asking for a couple things that they can give them. Because if they gave them leftover bread that was already eaten out, that would be even more shameful. So they're asking their neighbor to help them save face. So yes, it is audacious. Yes, it is bold. But it is not a bad request especially considering in their day they can't just run by the grocery store. 
There's no restaurants they can pick up food from. There's no app they can download. There's no place they can get delivery. They've got to go to their neighbor and ask. To us, it seems like borrowing some groceries, but for them, this is an incredible emergency. And because of the seriousness of the emergency, the neighbor is going to help, even though, not because it's their friend, and even though they have really good excuses, and even though they're dragging their feet out of bed, not wanting to do it, they will do so. Now, for us, it might be more helpful to, to think about what it would be like if somebody knocked on your door in the middle of the night and said, my wife is pregnant, I have to get to the hospital, our car broke down, can you give us a ride? All of us would go, well, I'm annoyed I didn't want to get here, but okay, yes, I, I've got to help you in this. That's the kind of emergency all of us would stop, even if we don't know the person, we don't care about them, we've got other things that we want to do, and no, no, I need to respond to this. This is why the neighbor responds, because the person is so bold to ask, and the request is legitimate and a good one, they're going to give whatever they need. It's a legitimate need, it's almost a matter of life and death in their culture. So what is the implication for our prayer? Well, we are to pray this way, and that we're to pray boldly before God. We shouldn't hesitate to knock on His door. We shouldn't pause and think before we shout and cry out His name loudly because we need help, especially when we have needs, especially when there are things that are going wrong in our life, especially if you're in pain and you feel like nobody understands, especially when you don't know what to do or when you're alone. We should not hesitate to pray boldly. Don't wait for Sunday. Don't wait for the morning. Just bang on God's door and pray boldly and ask Him for your requests. Our call to worship this morning is from Hebrews 14. We've done it a couple times. This is one of my favorite passages, but He encourages us in there at the end, right? Come boldly before the throne of grace. You can approach it with confidence. So we're to pray boldly. We shouldn't be afraid to knock on His door and to ask for a request. Because if even annoyed neighbors who maybe don't even like you that very much, are going to answer your requests when it's something like this? How much more is God? How much more will the God of the universe who fashioned you in your mother's womb, who knows every hair on your head, who knows and who loves you, who sent His Son on the cross to die for you and bleed and suffer to save you, how much more willing is that God going to be to answer you? especially when you come boldly. So pray to Him boldly. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. You might not be asking in the right way at the right time. Just go boldly before the throne of grace. Because if our neighbor who doesn't like us will answer for us, how much more will the God who loves us do? So I point number three, our last way that we are to pray. We're also to pray expectantly. We are to pray expectantly. We are to pray expecting that God will hear us, we're to pray expecting that God will answer us, and we are to pray expecting that God will give us what it is that we need. Verse 9, it says, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Partially, you can see when you read it all together, he's continuing the metaphor. Jesus is saying, just like that man who is going and knocking on his neighbor's door, go and knock on God's door. Seek out the Lord through prayer. Knock on the door of heaven. He's not going to tell you that he's asleep. He won't tell you to go away. He will open the door and he will answer you. He will give what we seek 
and we will find. Knock, it will be open. Ask, and it's given. We're to ask and to pray expecting an answer. We're to knock on God's door expecting that He will open it for us. These verses are meant to be an encouragement to our prayers, to know that God will answer us. But it doesn't mean that God will always answer us exactly how we wish. It doesn't mean that as long as we pray biblically, boldly, and expectantly, God will always say yes. Because if you've ever prayed ever, you know that sometimes God says no. Or sometimes it seems like He doesn't answer We spent a few months on Wednesday night, right, studying all the unanswered prayers in Scripture and all the different reasons that God might say no. But what we need to understand and we need to recognize is in verse 11. This is why we can pray expectantly. We can pray expectantly not because He's always going to say yes, but we can pray expectantly because He is a good, good Father. Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a scorpion? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion or a serpent. So Jesus uses the image of a child coming up to their father. And like most children, this child is hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a snack? Dad, can I have a fish? Now, how would a good father respond to that? Now, a good father might respond how I respond. Much of the time when my kids are hungry, I say, well, it's not lunchtime. So you're going to have to wait. Well, I know that they're getting snacks, but I'm not their dad. I'm your dad, and we don't do snacks. Or the classic, oh, well, hi, hungry, I'm dad. Okay, that's how good fathers might respond. Those might get eye rolls. Those might annoy you. You might answer differently. But those are not evil responses. What an evil response would be, instead of when my son asks that he's hungry, he's giving him a poisonous snake that is going to kill him. Or a dangerous scorpion instead of the egg sandwich that they want for breakfast. It's one thing to not give a child what they want. It is another thing to give a child something that is going to harm them. No good father would do that. Almost no parent would behave that way to their child. They would not spite them or just try to hurt them. Especially not when they're asking for something that they need. Something that they, when they're asking for food, they need to survive. At least we we struggle to think of that. And in 13 he says, so if you then, if you who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give to those who ask? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The implication here is that God might not give you the fishes and the eggs that you ask for. God may not say yes to your prayer in the way that you hope. He may not say yes at all. But God is not going to make jokes at your expense like I might do to my children. God is not going to roll his eyes at you. God will not ignore you. He knows how to give you good gifts. He knows how to give us exactly what it is that we need. And so when we pray and when we ask, we don't have to wonder what God will do. We can pray expecting that our God is a good God, that our God is a good God who loves us, and He will give us what we need, even if it's not what we want, even if it's not when we want it. We can expect that He loves us. We can expect that He will answer us. So that's why we should pray expectantly, not expecting He'll say yes, not expecting He's going to respond how I think that He should, but that He will respond like a good father, a better father than any of us have ever had. We can pray expecting He will respond and give us what it is we need.
So, in conclusion, where have we been this morning? Well, we've seen we need to pray biblically, we need to pray boldly, and we need to pray expectantly. Now, I want you to imagine yourself again standing there with Jesus. And after he's given us these instructions, and he said, okay, biblical prayers, bold prayers, expectant prayers, Jesus says, okay, now time to practice. Repeat after me. Let's pray together. Um, And so what we're going to do, instead of just me praying, um, Tommy's going to hit the next slide for us, and we're going to close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'm going to have the the words up on the screen since Luke's prayer is slightly different um, than the prayer that we normally pray. You can go ahead and hit it, Tommy, for me. Um, And what I'm going to do is they're going to be here, and I just want all of us as a church to out loud pray this prayer corporately together. Um, So would you pray with me? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not in temptation. Amen. Invite our worship team to come up and to lead us in worship through song once more. Here's this benediction from the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God bless you. Go in peace.